This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, this is Julie Bowen. I'm Chad Sanders. This is Quitters. Today, we talk to Sarah Highland, my TV daughter. She was really adorable. Yeah, and deep, and was really open about her health issues. I really enjoyed hearing her being on the other side of it, because I went through all this with her. Seeing her as this grown woman, engaged to be married, it's really refreshing to see her come into her own. I think that you hit the nail on the head with seeing her as an adult. Something happens for me when we talk to someone who's my age and they're so wise and they have all this lived experience. It makes me remember and feel like an adult too. (laughs) Her health experience hindered her ability to be a fully Hollywoodized coquette. (laughs) That's right. It tempered the experience, but it also, I think, in retrospect, made it richer. Yeah. And I really loved... Towards the end of the episode, you two were the millennials. It was really interesting to me to hear you guys on the other side bonding about the importance of social media and whether or not it's a thing we should all quit. Before we get to the interview, we just need to make one disclaimer, and that is that her dog, Boo, a very cute dog, was being very loud in the background. If you hear those sounds, that's all it is. She's fine. <laughs> Here's our interview with Sarah Highland. Sarah Highland has already met Chad Sanders. We just met, but I have something to say to her now that you're here. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, shit. You're in trouble. (laughs) Sarah, I became aware of you probably six years ago, maybe. I (laughs) flipped through a bunch of photos of you because I thought maybe that you were Black. So I would like to start us off there. Are you Black? I know what this is in reference to, and I'm just going to hold the bell in case. This is a true story. I really thought Sarah was black, and I looked at a hundred pictures of her. (laughs) Has that ever come up for you before? If I post a picture on Instagram, I've had some people comment, you look like this black actress. I thought this was (laughs) her, but I am not black. I'm not secretly black. If I was, it wouldn't be a secret. I would be very proud. (laughs) I honestly feel very flattered with that opening question by Chad, to be honest. (laughs) Truly. Julie doesn't like that, probably. (laughs) Julie's like, Chad's trying to charm Sarah. (laughs) You give me such a hard time. But the minute there's a pretty girl 
we're all far away from each other. Nobody's acting inappropriately, but a <laughs> lot more leeway is given to the youthful, attractive ladies than there is to his old sister on the couch. We're like elbowing each other half the time. <laughs> I just have to ask because Chad knows this because he did research, but I know this because I know you so well. How is your health? I'm good. I'm well. Yeah. Everything's stable. Yes. I haven't left the house in a very long time right now, but everything is stable as of now. All right. We look for good numbers on that. Well, if anybody is not familiar with Sarah Hyland and the ups and downs, she's had two, count them, two kidney replacements, transplants. I like the replacements, like it's a hip replacement. (laughs) (laughs) It's a replacement. (laughs) Chad wanted to specifically talk about how you felt after that. Yeah, the tug and pull of this show, I guess, sometimes is I see keywords that seem interesting to me, like suicide and kidney transplant. Let's go right there. (laughs) Well, first of all, who gave you kidneys? My father when I was 21 and my little brother when I was 26, almost 27. Wow. What does receiving a kidney from a family member, how does that change your relationship to that person? Obviously, it brings you closer together, not only literally and physically, but I mean, it changes the relationship because you don't feel just responsible for yourself anymore. You feel a sense of responsibility and duty to that family member for hygiene and health and everything like that. I don't want to let this person down. Hmm. They did this for me. Now I have to take care of it as well as I possibly can. There definitely is an amalgamation of gratitude and endless love mixed with almost, what's the right word? Not burden, but definitely a daunting responsibility. Mm. We never did talk about this in all the years that we worked together and all the stuff that went on in your life and with your surgeries, that after your first or your second that you really felt awful. And did you feel a responsibility? Like you felt, as you said, suicidal. Did you feel you couldn't say that to either your brother or your father? Like somehow that would be looking the gift horse in the mouth? It was in between the two. So So it was after dad. Okay. But it was when I was on dialysis. Oh. I was in rejection. I was on dialysis, needing a new kidney. And they had taken my dad's one out because it was causing too many issues. I didn't really have any kidney function at all. So I was doing dialysis three times a week, knowing that my brother was a match. And it's a very, very long process to make sure that you are even healthy enough. Not only do you have to be a match, but you have to be healthy enough to be able to donate an organ. The first time around, my mom was a match and she got started going through the process and that's how she found out that she had breast cancer. Oh. Oh. Yeah, she wouldn't have known unless she was going through that whole process to be a donor. It's a really long process. So my brother was going through that and my dad's kidney had already failed at that point. I was on dialysis oh, what if this happens again? And he's so young and what do I do? 
that's where I felt suicidal. I would avoid going into rejection and being on dialysis at all costs. <laughs> I know that suicide rates are up in the last couple of years. Yeah. Just conversation about mental health has gotten very noisy in the last 10 years. Noisy in a mostly good way, I think. But I don't think I've had a suicidal thought. I have smoked some bad weed that made me think about what if I could <laughs> jump off this roof and fly. But like, that's different. <laughs> that doesn't sound like weed. That sounds like <laughs> some like laced with PCP or something like that. I don't know what it was. It was when I lived in Oakland and I was like, I need to move back to the East Coast. But a suicidal thought in response to chronic pain and treatment that sucks. Is it a voice, a feeling? Is it sort of rational? What does that actually mean when I read it on a Wikipedia page that someone had a suicidal thought? I dare not say that my experience is like everyone else who has had a suicidal thought. I think it's very individualistic to that person's mental health and the situation that they're in. For me, it was more reason being rational about things. Obviously, it was irrational, but in my head, it was rational at the time. And years and years and years, 26, almost 27 years of always being in pain, mm -hmm. always being in and out of the hospital. I don't think I've gone more than one or two years without being hospitalized. For me, it was more a rational thought as well as just exhaustion of fighting because it's draining. Just energetically, I was like, this is hard for me to do anymore. And it would just be easier for everybody else too. So you felt like you were putting pressure on the people around you with all of your health problems. Yeah. When you have grown up your entire life having health issues and always essentially being in pain, you have to learn how to have thick skin, put on a show, put on a smile in front of everybody, because otherwise you're just going to be looked at as a really weak and pathetic and sad person. I don't like to victimize myself. I don't like other people to victimize me. I had almost 27 years of putting on a show, whether it was on Broadway or in my family living room. So you're in all this pain Mentally, you're suffering all the while sort of putting on a performance in your personal life, also at work. You're making people laugh. How do you go back and forth between those personas? Was it ever a vacation to go to work and focus on something that wasn't just the pain? I think for the first five years of Modern Family, work was a nice escape. <laughs> mm. But Julie also knows that there were times on set, man, you were doubled over. I will never yeah. forget the what's mm. the plan, Phil, with the car. Oh, yeah. Up in Griffith Park. And it was cold. And she's wearing a Haley special, which is like a Vegas skirt. The sun had set and she's wearing nothing. And she's a small girl to begin with, and she has kidney issues. We had to wa walk up some hill, maybe fake holding uh, lightning, lightning, what are those things, lightning bugs, in a jar. And they said, we need one more. And she was doubled over. It was dark, so the director and the producers couldn't really see her, and I could see her because I was just walking with her. And she was doubled over holding either ice packs or hot packs on your kidneys. Hot packs. Hot packs mm. to try and keep them warm. And I was like, you got one more? And she went like a robot. She just went from bent over to always and marched back to her starting position. I was like, oh, damn. And I skitter over being the fake mom that I am to the producers. She does have one more, but I would not push it past that. Mm. You know, she's in a lot of pain. 
but you would always turn it on when you needed to take care of business. Yeah. I never really said no. You never said no until you were in the hospital. <laughs> and then you were Yeah. Dead. And then I was in the hospital and I was like, when can I leave? I need to go back to work. <laughs> there are some episodes of Modern Family where I do not remember filming because I was asleep. Dead ass asleep. The episode where Haley asks money from Luke. And he's like, don't worry, I got it on ice. It's like in the freezer or something. That entire episode I was asleep for. I don't remember filming it at all. What do you mean? Like blacked out? It was right before my first transplant. Because here's the thing how transplants work. You have to be a certain level of sick in order to receive a transplant. So I was reaching that certain level of sick. I was not able to be awake for like eight hours at a time. I was so exhausted all the time. So I would be on set, we'd be filming, and I would be dead asleep, my head on the table. I would hear and, and my head would go up on and, and then they yelled action and we just went into it. And as soon as they yelled cut, I put my head back down. Ty brought that up to me a while back. Were you asleep the whole time? And I was like, I think I was, because I don't remember filming that. And then you also Mm. did whole episodes where... When I had gout. Remember when I had gout? Oh, that was bad. And you were fighting, like, steroid puff and having to go on camera. And you're like, I have to take these steroids to stay the frick alive and keep this kidney in me. But they gave you puff face. And you were like, this is unreal. You had to climb a mountain. Sorry about that. Everybody has to climb a mountain. Climb every mountain, just like Sound of Music. (laughs) But you quit hiding it in public. What made you decide to quit shutting up about it? Well, the first transplant, actually, I had done this photo shoot and I wasn't allowed my personal makeup artist. The woman overheard me talking about the transplant coming up. I was supposed to have a magazine cover of 17 or something like that coming up. They reached out and they were like, we're going to do the story about your transplant. And no one knew And so it turns out that makeup artist told people that this was happening to me. And then I was put in a position where I was like, okay, well, I have to talk about this now. I was not ready to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. I was 21 years old. I didn't want to be known as like the milk carton girl for (laughs) kidney transplants. (laughs) I didn't want to be the girl with a kidney transplant because there's so much more to me. And I know that this industry latches on to anything somewhat different or quote-unquote problematic, whether it's problematic and you're an addict, which is a disease, or you have kidney failure, which is also a disease. They latch on to things like that. And then that's all you're known for. I consider myself more of a New Yorker than a kidney transplant patient. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you were sort of outed. That wasn't your own kind of quit. That one was not my idea. Yeah, the second transplant is when I didn't tell anybody that was on dialysis, modern family knew. But it wasn't public that I was on dialysis. So I was 75 pounds and people thought that I was just dealing with an eating disorder when I was actually just really sick. I wanted to be able to talk about it with people I trusted. I wanted to 
be on the other side of recovery for a while at that point. Because uh-huh. the photo shoot that I did the first time around when it was somewhat outed and everything, that happened before the transplant even took place. So I was talking about something where I don't know how I'm going to feel. And so at least I had that knowledge and the newfound hindsight to be able to really curate exactly what I wanted to put out there, how I want to say it, because I believe that everything we go through in life is a lesson. And for me, I didn't have a lot of people to look up to growing up from the chronically ill community, especially as a female who has received kidney transplants. And it's no slight to them. They're wonderful. You got Tracy Jordan and George Lopez. But as a woman, especially in the industry, especially known as the coquette, so to speak. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Like an an ingenue kind of girl. And it changes your body. And it's not like just having a baby changes your body. I've talked about this before, and Julie knows what this is, but do you, Chad, know what a fupa is? <laughs> I don't know it. I don't know what a coquette is. I don't know what an ingenue is. And I do not know. I don't even remember the last word that you just said. So can well. we just pump the brakes and <laughs> So a coquette or an ingenue, they're both French. It's a young, pretty girl. Uh, yeah. okay. And so being sick takes the bloom off that somehow. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like finding out that somebody has some sort of, ew, is it catching? Yeah. It's harder to be thought of that way. But do tell him what a fupa is. Fupa. So uh, this might be not okay to say anymore. I have no idea. But fupa is fat upper pussy area. And so I decided to take that name back because when you get a kidney transplant, they put the kidney in the front. Yep. Like in your stomach. They leave your other kidneys in. Yeah. Unless you have like kidney cancer and your original kidneys are causing you issues, they leave them in. So I had my father's kidney and he's a very large man in the front of my stomach. And so I decided to take back the word FUPA and call it Koopa, my kidney upper pussy area. So Koopa. <laughs> Koopa. Like Koopa. King Koopa, like Mario Kart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you know what he's talking about? Yes. Oh. Yes, we have one too, Julie, that you don't know. I was about to say, our Venn diagrams are so interesting here. Very interesting. <laughs> Mario Kart and kidneys. <laughs> I'm like, hmm? I knew FUPA, but you lost me at Mario Kart. FUPA yeah. sounds like a word I should immediately erase from my vocabulary. So Yeah, I think you should. But see, that's the part of you that I know so well, Sarah, is the one that lives out loud and yeah. is funny as hell, especially about all the stuff you've gone through and especially all the physical stuff. But when it came to talking about mental health, I was surprised. And I do feel like that was something that might have been part of that. I need to wait until I'm ready to talk about this and I know what I want to say because you don't want to throw it out there in a casual way because it's going to be connected with your name forever. So what was the impetus to talk about the mental health? I just truly believe that if I was going through what I was going through as a teenager or a young person in my 20s, it would have really helped me see someone else talk about it because that is a big thing with the mental health community. We don't talk about it. We keep it to ourselves. You keep your thoughts to yourself and try to just dredge through it alone. 
I thought, if I talk about this, not only do I think it will help me and be a bit cathartic in the sense of I'm proud of myself for making it through the other side, but as well as shedding even more light because the mental health community, it just needs more light on it. I just wanted to speak on my experiences because one of the things that you have to go through with receiving a kidney, donating a kidney is a whole mental health kind of thing to make sure you're okay. I'm just an amazing actress, so (laughs) that's that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question about being a coquette. It's a coquette, right? Which yep. I just thought meant yes. a woman that does coke, but that's not what it means. It could. It, it could. It really could. I like yeah. the double entendre. Yeah. When we had Ty on, Julie and Ty were talking about at the beginning of Modern Family when it was so celebrated and so recognized and it just felt like Hollywood was throwing you guys a party. I think that was your language, Julie. It felt like the town is throwing us a party. And like you just said, when you were getting on the ride... And you were meant to be an ingenue at this time. Did you get to enjoy the party at all? Did you get to bask in it a little bit? Or was it all just, I'm managing my job and I'm managing this health stuff? I think I got to have fun. I definitely always had fun at the award shows and the pre-parties. I was 18 when we first started filming. And I wasn't in the greatest relationship, so I didn't get to enjoy a lot of things for a very long time. But the things that I did get to enjoy, I have such fond memories looking back upon. And all of them consists of Julie, Ty, and Jesse. And, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just like the four of us. Yeah, I think that there's a path that I could have gone down of being a teenager as well as in my early 20s and fucking it all up. What kind of road? The party road. It's a slippery slope when you're a teenager living on your own for the first time. Making money. Making money, being invited to all of these parties and having all these opportunities thrown at you. But I give a lot of credit to my parents as well as the fact that I had to grow up really fast because of my health issues. So for me, I'll stay up till 5 a.m. on a Friday night, but I'm not doing coke until 5 a.m. on a Friday night. (laughs) Right. You couldn't drink and do everything to excess. You always had to watch it. Yeah. So going back to the mental health thing, I wanted to ask, you felt like you had to hide how you were feeling going through a lot of this stuff on a personal level, and then you decided to talk about it. How did that change? How did quitting your silence on all of that and coming out and saying, yeah, I've had suicidal thoughts and feelings. And yeah, that is going to be the clip on your Wikipedia page, even though really what it should say is, here's my experience. I am on the other side and maybe someday I'll be low again. And I want to be a celebrity that's out there talking about it. So how did your life change? I'm proud of the fact that I put that out there. I've had people come up to me. I've had people write to me saying, thank you for talking about this. I felt the exact same way. And once I saw that you got through it, I know that I could too. You really helped me through a really hard period in my life just by talking about it. So I love 
quitting being silent. <laughs> I'm not a very quiet person to begin with, but being a child actor on top of everything else, when I was a kid, it was like, you learn your lines, you go to work, you say your lines, you do what the director says, you do this, you put on whatever the wardrobe department tells you to put on. And thanks to people like you and Sophia, that was probably the only thing that was silent about me. I'm a very loud, outspoken, opinionated woman who puts her foot in her mouth more times than not. But what I've learned from you and Sophia in this industry, having the pleasure and honor to work with the two of you for so long, is that you can express how you feel about certain things at work. Sophia taught me, she's like, I, if you don't like the cowboy boots, don't put on the cowboy boots. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, know. I can tell me them too. that. I was like, wait, <laughs> guys to be like, well, what's Sophia wearing in this scene? And Wardrobe would say, whatever she feels like. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> that's an option. <laughs> oh my God. But Chad, as a female on a set for a long time, you are like a dress up doll. You wear what they yes. put on you. The idea of having choice is like, what? Exactly. I was like, you mean I don't have to wear cowboy boots every episode? It's 2009, you guys. Who wears cowboy boots? <laughs> but has it been all positive? Oh, I mean, isn't that what life is? It's a balance. You can't have light if there's no dark and vice versa. I have the knowledge knowing that I helped at least one person through something. And on the other hand, you have a bunch of people saying, hey, why didn't you kill yourself when you wanted to? Should have done that now, you know? Oh, like, my God. Oh. oh. What do you mean, like Twitter commenters or Instagram people? It's the social media. It's the social it's the media of it all. You're always going to run into things like that. I love it and hate it at the same time. Do you read the comments? Oh, yeah. You do? Mm-hmm. Oh, Sarah. How? I got to get feedback. I got to know what's working and what's not. At the same time, social media can make you a lot of money. I've been in the room where it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so when I produced The Wedding Year, we're in the room. Noah Centineo came in to talk to us about playing my best friend in it. And he had such great ideas. He's so cool. He's such a sweet, nice guy. And he's really like in it. And he has thought about the actual art of this film. And they were like, he doesn't have enough Instagram followers. Mm. Literally, four months later, right after we finished filming, his Netflix movie came out and he had 20 million Instagram followers overnight. Overnight. Yeah, I know who he is. He's hot. He is hot. But at the same time, I was like, this guy is great and he seems like an amazing actor. So you have to look at your Instagram as well as somehow, and it's absolutely ridiculous, but somehow part of your resume. It is absurd, but it is an easy clip on there. Chad, how many, do you know off the top of your head how many followers you have? Like 15,000. <laughs> See, you do know. I don't think I can get the job. <laughs> And do you read the comments? No. After I did that New York Times piece, I decided no more comments for me. Because what? You quit reading comments. This is a new quit for you. But I did that two years ago. It was hate mail. It was like nasty racial stuff. So you read it for a while. I already wasn't a huge comment reader, but that was a turning point for me where this is going to affect how I write. If I'm scared mm -hmm. of what people yeah. are going to say to me, this yeah. is going to affect how I express myself. Sarah, one of the many fascinating things about Chad is what a human he is, because he's very smart, and he's opinionated, and he's funny, and he can Thanks. sing and make music, and he can write. But he also openly likes 
the idea of being a public person. Am I saying it right? Yeah, that's fair. I don't know if I would want 10 million Instagram followers. You don't get to decide. I know. Yeah, That's the thing. And so, Sarah, I would love to hear, because you're both around the same age, I think, but you're coming from very different life paths and experiences in Hollywood. I would love to hear Sarah give Chad a little advice about what it is that he thinks that he wants. I think the first thing that comes to mind is be careful if you open the door. You could open the door a crack and an entire ball pit of balls just floods in. And you're like, I just want to open a crack. But like the weight on the other side will push it all the way open and drown you. I think you got it. I think you have tough enough skin and you're smart enough to be able to swim through the treacherous waters. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what your asking for. Mm. I was never like, I want to be a famous. I want to do good films. I want to do good TV. I want to be a successful actress, not I want to be a famous actress, just a successful one. And before modern, I was working for 14 years before then. So I had been a not critically acclaimed TV show successful actress, but you know, on like a Tony nominated show and It just so happened that Modern was the door. Oh, I get to like peek inside this door. And then like a semi comes and hits you. And you're like, whoa, I don't understand what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think at my ripe old age of 33, I think I have aged out of the pursuit of what I think a 23-year-old wants, which is just 5 million Instagram followers just to have them. Oh, yeah. Young kids now and the tech houses, what are they called? TikTok houses. What are the kids calling them these days? I can't believe Sarah is now like there's something younger than Sarah. I remember actually (laughs) going to a teen Vogue young Hollywood party and I brought Sierra and I walked in and I was like, oh my God, why am I here? Why am I still being invited here? This is insane. (laughs) Everyone here is like 12. What's happening? And Ariel comes running up towards us. And she was like, oh my God, everyone here is fetuses. I feel like the Crypt Keeper. And I was like, if you're... (laughs) If Ariel's the Crypt Keeper, we're in trouble. I was like, what am I, the original death? Are you kidding me? (laughs) If there was no money associated with social media, if they made it impossible to make money off of it, and we lived in a magical universe where it didn't influence whether or not you got a job as an actor... Would you quit social media? No, I'm a masochist. (laughs) Okay, Chad? (laughs) Uh, I would probably use it. I almost can't even imagine that world anymore. Yeah. My friends are there. I would use it for my dog videos. It's weird. I would want to quit it, but it's just such a utility at this point. I don't know that I would be able to. Why would you want to quit it? Because it's not the actual thing. It's Mm. not actually hanging out with my fiance and my dog. It's not actually having an interesting conversation with a friend. It's not actually even watching a well-produced movie. It's just an anxiety reflex more than anything. For you. Yeah. It's a fidget spinner more than anything. Yes. That's all it is. (laughs) Yeah. And yet you wouldn't want to quit it. I would want to, but I do like to post a video of my dog running around in the backyard. Why do you like posting it? There's two reasons. One is it is exhibitionist. I like to give somebody a show. I like to give somebody a little piece of art. Like, look at this thing I made. 
And then the other part is I like to feel like I have some control over how people think about my life and when people think about my life. In my world, what it is is, wait, how does Chad know the modern family lady? Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of shit that I like to do sometimes. <laughs> and you wouldn't quit, Sarah, because you're a masochist. You like that feedback. I know it's not good for me. I know it doesn't help any type of body dysmorphic oh, thoughts. Boy. I know it doesn't help with my eyesight, um, <laughs> my time management so that's why I say I'm a masochist because I know I should, but I just don't want to. I think it goes back to your exhibitionist. I like performing. I'm an actor. I need applause. Give me validation. Please like this. Okay, so would you quit if they said, again, we're going to the magical world? You're doing a millennial case study. I, I feel am. Like. Yeah. I'm fascinated because yeah. <laughs> you two are very different. And yet, again, Venn diagram is overlapping in this area. Okay, so let's say you can't make money off it. It's not going to influence whether or not you get jobs. It simply exists on your phone, and that's it. And you can never see how many followers you have. Would you still post? Wasn't that just like Facebook and MySpace back in the day? Mm-hmm. I had a MySpace when I was 13. You did? Yeah, against my mother's knowledge. And <laughs> in the ninth grade, I created a fake college account. So you could get to Facebook. Yeah. you used to have to have a college account. That's right. So I created a fake email address for a college account. And I had a Facebook and MySpace and Facebook were the big things for high school for me. What was the appeal? The appeal was to share with your friends and to just let out your feelings. On Facebook, it used to be status. This is the type of 16-year-old I was. I was quoting Chekhov as a way to express what I was going through at that moment. I was like, is an actress, is a seagull. No, wait, I'm an actress. That's right. That's what I was putting on my Facebook. <laughs> Who was that for? Who was that for? Seems like the way that you're framing it, it's another space where you're sort of trying out. It's like trying on clothes in a mirror. Yeah. You're trying on identities and you're also yeah. making sure you exist. Mm -hmm. It's like throwing a ball against a wall to make sure that you're actually there. Are you the tree that's fallen alone in the woods? Does anybody hear you? But if there were no comments or you couldn't see how many followers you had, is there any satisfaction in that? Yes, it still is going out there, but you don't know. It's more like posting just like a blog or a website where there's no followers or no comments. You're just putting it out there. Do you journal? In a way. Okay, you run. You get stuff out when you run. Yes. I think it's more so like that. Just getting it out is enough. Yeah. Chad, what do you think? Julie, you're so fast. Every time you running comes up, I have to mention that you're very fast. <laughs> she is very fast. <laughs> I used to write like a really long poetic email and send it to one friend or one girlfriend or my sister or whatever. But now I don't write or make a song. I don't write a word if I don't think that it's going to go out into the world and somebody's going to see it and it's going to have a chance to grow into something that feeds me. I don't journal. I don't write a word that's just for me pretty much at all anymore. And I don't know if that is because of social media. Would you ever consider quitting for a time just to see how it felt? Now, today, the goal is do so well that I can quit. Yeah. Donald Glover is very aspirational for me. He comes mm. on, he posts his music video, and he goes away forever. And then yeah, he comes yeah. back and his show comes on and then he goes away forever. I would love to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I'm going to get real highfalutin for a second. Now you're going to get that? 
motherfucker. <laughs> I went to Brown University, which has a semiotics department, which is the study of the theory of signs. Yeah, that's right. And there's a famous semiotician named Lacan. And his whole theory was you don't exist without the mirror, without your name and the mirror. And without being identified and being able to be reflected back to yourself, you don't philosophically exist. But that's the way you're describing social media is as this way of dropping a stone into like a pond. You need to know that you exist in that world. I mean, we are native to it. Sarah and I are definitely. Yeah. 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 Thank God we didn't have Twitter or Instagram when we were still in school. But we definitely grew up in our formative teenage years with social media. Well, don't you worry. Your kids are going to have Instagram. Oh, gosh. It's so terrifying. I don't know what that's going to be like in like 10 years. Well, they might just burn out of it. There's always somebody pushing the edge. And then there's always kind of the other side. I love this intersectionality. It's really interesting. And Sarah, I love you so much. I love you so much. And it's so lovely to meet you, Chad, and talk to you and hear your opinions on everything. He is lovely. And Sarah, it's okay, he says, for us to tell him that he is cute because he is. You are very Thank cute, you. Chad. Thank you. It's encouraged. You are very Thanks, cute. Sarah. Really appreciated this. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Hi, Chad. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We love you. Bye. Bye. 